Blog Talk Radio. Children, teach them 
teach them well. So this might, just might, take down the statistics just a tiny bit, okay? It might help to save lives of children and even, you know, those who are not murdered. I'm going to put it that way. I was kidnapped and raped. I could have been murdered. I was in when I was living in New York. But the point is this, um, the trauma, the trauma that's involved, okay, is horrific, and it causes all types of problems. Now, we have Pastor Deborah here tonight, and she's going to be speaking about healing and all kinds of things. I also have Lori. Lori is like my co-host, yes. And we have um, we have Pastor Deborah, and we have Deborah Hunt, who has decided to call in, and that's very nice. And we also have Philip. He's here. So we have a nice little crew of people, and I can keep my mouth shut and let everybody else run the show. Okay. Pastor, why don't you start in? Go ahead. All right. I'm Pastor Deborah. I'm a former clinical mental health counselor and a nationally certified clinical mental health counselor for over 10 years. Uh, I am now a global spiritual pastor on social media. I've worked with the occult, people with disassociation, abuse. I've been a family uh, advocate with the Guardian at Lightums for two years as the eyes and ears for the family judge. I have had extensive training in trauma-informed care. I have worked at jails, prisons, both as, both as a mental health counselor and a pastor. I've done Bible studies. I've also worked in the crisis stabilization unit of our local mental health center with those that have been picked up by the police, safer acted, done teaching on spiritual care, worked closely with the long-term, those with mental illness, volunteered with many churches and outreach, worked in drug programs, worked with the homeless, used to be a chaplain sort of giving the lunch devotional with uh, homeless people. So I've had a variety of experiences. I've worked in churches on different ministries. And uh, I have just, uh, I would call it a unique uh, combination of experiences uh, in helping people. And I've had extensive um, deep spiritual uh, training uh, with some of the very hardest core people. And um, I'm open to say hello to everybody. I'm on social media. I do a lot around the world. I make a lot of videos, do a lot of teaching, reach out uh, to a lot of people that most uh, pastors and mental health counselors probably will never get to do. I've had them in my homes. They've lived with me uh, and tried to kill me. They've poisoned me. I've had a lot of experiences. Uh, Of course, I had to get healed from a lot of stuff myself, which took two years, I was set down by God at home, said, you're going to get healing. I go, from what? He said, 30, 40 years of it. And we don't really understand how we get hurt from many different ways throughout our life. So I had all that, and I just asked God that he would not waste any of my experiences, my education, because we are talking to people who need healing, and they need to have understanding of when they go into therapy and treatment psychiatric hospitals, the emergency rooms, what they can expect, what the treatment facilities are like. I've been trained as a chaplain in an emergency room hospital, spent the night in hospitals, helped people die, hospice volunteer, 
sit, uh, stood next to people pumping stomachs out in the emergency room. I had to learn to be very calm uh, and, you know, very excited in emergency situations. I've had a lot of experiences that many mental health counselors do not have and that many pastors don't have. So I'm just one of those, you might call them weird, but very unique individuals. So I can talk from, you know, two worlds of helping people that, that have been abused. I've had firsthand experience with that. I've had it in my own home, in my own relationships with boyfriends. And um, now I'm doing it, teaching slowly all on social media. So if anybody has any, you know, questions right now, go ahead. That's fine, and I'm open to that. Before I get into the topic, I think we might be helpful for us tonight. Well, I'm uh, happy you're here. Um, you have a lot, obviously. You have a very much, um, so much experience and education, which is what I like to listen to because you know the scope of so many things. So I think it's going to be a good night. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Any other questions before I get into the topic? Hi, uh, this is Deborah Hunt. And, and I'm Miss I, Deborah. Hi. Hello. And, you know, I loved what you were saying about, you know, we all got to this position to where we were here and and how you're healing from it. Um, you you said it was a long journey for you to get here. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know the story, but I would love to know a little bit more about the story and how you got to the journey of this healing because I think that's important for the listeners to understand and, and even for me to understand. That would be great. Okay. I grew up in a military fan, family, officer, Traveled all around the world, moved every two years, and in the military, especially officer rank, doesn't matter what kind of family issues you have, you don't talk. Uh, my mother had a lot of bitterness in her, caused her a lot of mental illness, uh, suicide, depression. My father, uh, who even though he was well educated, be kind of impact. And so I had an older brother; he was four. He went mentally ill. So I grew up in a home of a lot of mental illness, no guidance, no help. As I entered into puberty and stuff, I was sexually abused with boyfriends. Got off into drugs, a lot of bad stuff. I'm telling that story in videos right now called It's Time. I grew up pretty much alone. I had nothing but books to help me because nobody talks. And I had to live with a mentally ill mama and uh, uh, felt that brother just hated you kind of left alone, no sisters, nothing. But I was sort of a, all by myself. And when you're in the military, you don't make friends outside the community. I never really had any relations with my aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpas, cousins, nobody. We moved around and we were isolated from all that. So a lot of isolation, ignorance, mental illness in the family, which caused me to later on do a lot of bad things and have bad things done to me. And the only way I got through that as a child was I read a lot of true stories. Of course, I prayed a lot, went to church all the time, uh, was going after something. I used to walk, but nobody else would take me. I would walk for miles 
I went, even when my parents didn't take me. But there was something instilled in me to be a finder. And somewhere along my early years, maybe it was, you know, you take care of dogs or pets or something. I started loving people that were maybe like in a car accident, in wheelchairs, that were disabled, had issues. And I loved them no matter what. I'd go out with them as dates or my friends. And this love for people that were different. And being in the military, uh, we moved uh, to the hall. And I didn't see all the things that normal Southerners saw. Uh, I had been around people from all over the world. And I was used to military, World War II. My dad served with Patton. I was used to bombs and bombers and death and stuff like that. But I knew that I was to love people. Why? I didn't know why. So love was put in me, and I would tell people, they go, why can you go out on a date with that person or be with that one? I go, I don't know. I just love them. That's what I'd say. And I'd say, I would give everything I had out to them. And then at nighttime, God would fill me back up, and I'd start over again. I had no help. There was no books. The church didn't talk about it. And so I had a lot of dreams. Didn't know it was a work in the spirit. Read the Bible. Still had the same Bible when I was about four years old. Read it, didn't understand it, wasn't alive. And at that time, for females to help people, you could go into elementary education, teach and be a mother. You were supposed to be educated in the military, but not really work. You were a Marian officer daughter, a uh, Marian officer. I knew a lot about ballroom dancing, receiving lines, parties. I met with a lot of generals and stuff that had to wear not, you know, gloves and evening gowns and had to learn how to be proper as an officer's daughter. So from that, you know, but you still had within you the ability and you were trained. You're going to a foreign country and lay your life down and you're going to save somebody else who's trapped, prisoner like World War II. You are going to go help people. You don't judge them. They are prisoners. They're in camps. It doesn't matter. You go set them free. So you combine that with um, just loving people. And so my course was you become you go get psychology or social work. My dad was a psychologist, had two master's degree, taught at Troy State University. I ended up teaching for them for a while, a couple classes. Uh, I touched base with the American Counseling Association when I was still in high school, I think, or college. So I set on to be a counselor, got my master's degree. Then and did psychological testing. Then in early 1980s in the state of Florida, uh, master level people wanted to get paid by Medicaid, Medicare, third party insurance. So they were helping with the legislators to pass a law. If you had a master's degree and you had two years of supervised experience with people with issues, you could apply uh, after your two years take a state test, pay a lot of money, about $500 per time. And if you pass it, then you got a license, and you were a licensed mental health counselor. So I did that, but I missed the test a couple times by maybe one question. Had to pay more money, go study all the books, had to buy a lot of books, take it again. Because it was getting to be that in helping people, you couldn't do it with a bachelor's degree. You were an aide. I had a master's, and you had to get licensed. And I had been had two years in an inpatient, outpatient drug and rehabilitation institute working with youth and adults. 
And so I got my license, and my first job was in a rehabilitation institute, an inpatient for spinal cord injury patients, uh, head injury, stroke patients, people who had lost limbs, amputations. And I was part of a team of social workers and the physiatrist, which is the doctor, very familiar with hospitalization hospitals. And most mental health counselors did not get that kind of experience. Then I went private practice, and I worked with a neuropsychologist, did a lot of testing for Social Security disability, worked in a lot of um, nursing homes, elderly people. But during that time, you get married, you have boyfriends, you have a lot of issues, a lot of issues. And I needed a lot of healing from both my primary family, who by this time were all kind of spread out, and it's not nice. My brother was ran away from home when I was 10, you know, all kinds of issues. I need a lot of work, had a lot of boyfriend problems, you know, a lot of heartache when you're young. And um, and so I needed a lot of healing from a lot of issues. Did I know that? No. I got a master's degree. Okay, I'm helping other people. I need help. But I didn't know that. I didn't know uh, why, it would do, why it was doing what I did. I used to sell drugs. I did drugs. I had premarital sex. Oh, my gosh. Coming and going. I ran the gangs. This was all in high school. Oh, not high school, but college. I wasn't a real nice person. Breaking the law. Drinking and driving. But you don't realize it at the time that all of that is a response from early years. Because there's just no help. And uh, so as I got into spiritual work, and God said, put your license down. I want to teach you how to help people my way. I didn't know how to do that, didn't know what it was. thought you work in a church full-time as a pastor or something, and you just give people scriptures. And that's my, well, what my training. So as you are pursuing what you think you have been called to do, mine was love people no matter what and help them. That was about all I had. We all make a lot of decisions for many different reasons. We probably get off track. We go down the wrong road. We're with the wrong people. We get the wrong jobs. We do a lot of poor decision-making. We follow a lot of traditions in our family. And we're not on the right track. But before you can get on the right track, I had to have some healing. So God set me home for two years. You're not going to church. You're just going to read books and sit with me. I go, what am I going to do? So he reminded me of a movie I had watched about Martin Luther who was a, a, a Catholic priest in Germany, and he wanted to he challenged the Catholic Church with 95 theses. And he was a professor, and he wanted to debate. Well, he got was going to get arrested by the Catholic Church, and a king who loved him dearly kidnapped him, took him to a castle, and he sat there for two years. And what did he do? He translated the Latin Bible into German common language. And if you study some of these guys, John Huss, uh, some of these early guys who were translating the Bible into the common tongue, some of them were burned alive and all that. So I said, okay, if he can stay at home for two years and write, I can do the same. So during those two years at home, getting healing from what? And then when when it was done, Okay, because I had to turn myself over to him because he knew me best. He knew what was a mess. 
You knew what needed to be done. I didn't. And now remember, I'm a licensed, trained mental health counselor. Now, I did do imagery, but I never went into hypnosis. I knew that was wrong. So does that answer your question? It does. And and within your answer, you you made me ask so many more questions because what I think that you said was so beautiful and I really think that it is beautiful that you just said that, that you said, I knew I was being abused. I knew it, mm-hmm. but I just kept moving on. And I, and, I, and I moved on with these abusive relationships. And, mm-hmm. and, and me being a person who has dealt with that, and anybody on this, I, I, I know Carol definitely knows, you know, you kind of carry that on, but you don't really understand why. Mm-hmm. And you you found this beautiful way to to say it, and how do you say it out loud to say, "Hey, I was abused," and I I didn't even understand you can't, it. And, okay, you, you can't do that till you have healing. Then you look back, and God will reveal all the mess to you if you're seeking it. I really wasn't seeking healing, but God knows we all are. This is the pastoral side. Mental health counselors know. Society knows it's a mess. People got problems. Okay? Yeah. But people are afraid that they'll get labeled crazy, mental, and they'll be locked away, put on Thorazine, on drugs, and it's over with. And it's such a hideous and shameful identity and label. Yeah. It's something else. It's, you're, you're just on drugs. Or you, yeah. you're confused. It's just an issue. Because if they put that label of disease on you, it means something yes. else. And you have, yes. Okay. And the topic I was going to talk about tonight is called the gift. It's disassociation. And how it's a way of escape. It's given to every human being. Everybody does it. In the psychiatric world, they really don't understand it. They very rarely see it because the, the people who have, who have multiple personalities, very smart, they're not going to tell that therapist that I got. They'll have one part go to the therapist, and they really don't have any problems. The family won't talk. There's a family in there, all different ages, all different things. And so what happened is I started learning about that. I learned about it before, but some psychologist got trained in it, very few psychiatrists get trained. In mental health, they really call it schizophrenia. Schizo means divided, two, and phrenia means mine. So you're really crazy if you have schizophrenia. I work with a lot of them, and all the psychiatrists do is increase their medication. So people are pretty smart. They don't want that title, that label. And so if you're working with people who have been abused, we all do it. Because we're capable of, in the Word of God, it says, as you think in your heart, so you are. So in the occult, which I had to learn, Satan goes and looks for, do you have the gift? He needs you to be disassociative so he can program you to be, say, an assassin, some other thing, and then you forget about what you just did. One of the great people that really is real good at it, and nobody saw it, is O.J. Simpson. When they said he killed his wife, okay, he said, I didn't do it. Charlie, 
did it. Well, that was not the man's name that came there. He said Charlie did it, but nobody caught it. Uh, Herschel Walker, if you ever understand, if you follow him, and he was a NFL football player. He had multiple personalities. He didn't discover them until he quit uh, football. And he mm-hmm. has a story out. It's excellent. He has a story out about how he was one person on the football field, one person here, one person there, one person here, one person there. And he got a lot of therapy about it. Every right. abused person, every abused person, a mental health knows this, that it's a defense mechanism to for the mind and the soul, that's where they work, to survive this traumatic, life-threatening, fearful with all the chemicals, uh, fear and flight going on, all the hormones, dopamine, cortisol, all flowing at abuse. It is a way that God gave them the gift to disassociate and leave their bodies. I didn't know that. We're not taught that at the master's level in mental health counseling. But I was going to be dealing with those kind of people. Right. And I had to see it for myself. I had to learn about it. And then I discovered we all do it. We dis- we are a different person when we are a wife or a husband than at work. Yeah. Then when yeah. we're with our friends, we all take on different identities. Mm-hmm. Uh, a different parts of time. Yes. Would you agree we with that? It's a different parts and times. It's just different parts and times. Like, that's how well, you associate time, with... Yes, but at the same time, an abused child, the best way to see it happen is in the movie The Three Faces of Eve, true story that happened in the South. And this little three- or four-year-old girl had to go kiss her dead grandmother. Now, that was a custom. It was a way of saying goodbye, but her little mind couldn't handle it. And they show it to you. She screams. She creates Eve Black, a toughie that could do it. And then there was an Eve White. And they went to school together, all in the same body. And when she finally gets to a psychiatrist, he said, we've heard about this but never seen one. And she would switch in the office. And then you read about Sybil. And I had these yeah. stories. And yeah. I, looked, I, I looked them up on, you know, YouTube. And I had to, because in the occult where I was going, which mm-hmm. isn't, you know, and I would discover, I had one, I have them live in my house. And I saw all the different personalities. One would drive a car, one would go to work, one would suck their thumb. One thought they were the queen, one was looking for drugs. And they would go to a psychologist, and I said, well, did you tell them you have parts and you have little children in there? One of them uses your left hand, one uses your right hand, one doesn't doesn't talk, one sucks. No, 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 no. We can't let the system be found out. So and that is, that is something that so many people relate to. I just wanted to go real quickly. Um, I know this is Carol's show tonight, but I just wanted to go real quickly to Lori uh, and and to Philip and and just you know see what they want if they have any questions or if they have anything to say. So I'm going to go first to Lori. Lori, what are you thinking about this conversation right now? Uh, it's interesting. You know, it's a different take on things because my healing was totally different than, you know, what, what we're talking about now. I wasn't really involved with too much of anything. And just getting to different places, um, 
like the people who, who don't have the opportunity to go out and well, not even that. Yeah, it pretty much is the opportunity for whatever reason to go out and go get uh, an education. Well, back in my day, now things are more online. But working experience, you know, you got to be able to sit there and talk to all these kinds of people. That's part of any kind of uh, journey. Um, you know, all that is is wonderful because it can't be passed down, and there's always somebody that needs to hear it. Um, right. So, you know, the, what I'm hearing tonight it is, I think it's a lot of good information. Absolutely. Let me say, I'll say something to that too. Um, excuse my voice and all this other stuff. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, I know. Um, uh, the pastor has so, so, so much education, okay? She really does. And I, I spent my time working also, too, in, in Greystone, but she far surpasses what I had done at Greystone because I kept moving around to different jobs. But what I did learn about those with the, they called it MPV in those days, the multiple personality disorder, the D rather than the D. And um, I worked with it. I saw it. It, it was very clear. And one thing with people who have those multiple personalities, um, they can be sitting twitching a little bit. You don't quite know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, they're totally a different person. I mean, it just comes right, right out. And, yeah. and they'll just start talking to you and do all kinds of weird things. And um, being that I had to work with them as a you know, state-certified technician, I had to um, deal with them. A lot of them thought that they were well enough to go home. No, they weren't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so I had to go then to, um, we had the judge come on the property because we housed the uh, murderers as well. And uh, so we had to have police presidents and uh, all this other stuff there. So I'd have to give my input as to what I thought that person could go home. Well, if a person has the, the um, you know, the multiple personality disorders, um, and they're uh, maybe um, they're the type of person that maybe is schizophrenic also, okay? Um, and yes, they do try to lump it all. You're right, Pastor. You know, into schizophrenia, and that's not quite right. They shouldn't do that. And then they get them on the Thorazine shuffle, and you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. They don't work with them, okay? They don't work with them. They work they just against medicate them. them. Oh, yeah. No, no, they they medicate them, Deborah, okay? No. To, oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. And that's where they develop the Thorazine shuffle, and it comes. They foam at the mouth at times. I used to watch them foaming at the mouth, yes, and sure. uh, then they give them Melibol and Narvain and, and other things. So you see, ooh, that's not the way to treat people. That's not helping people. No, that's not and helping. It, no, and, and people, the, what they have with these uh, multiple personality disorders, yes, it is a defense mechanism. I almost wish that I had had that when I was a kid. Because I remember all the things. Yeah, well, yeah. I remember too much, okay? And it was like yeah, one blow like... after another is what I'm saying. And yeah. whereas a person who has, you know, um, you know, multiple personality disorders, a dissociation, same thing, dissociate. They dissociate somewhere else right. in their mind, um, you know, when something's happening or about to happen, whatever. Um, with these people, uh, if they can't handle it on a level you know, that where they're not going to hurt themselves or they're not going to hurt someone else, okay, then, yes, they belong and they should be getting counseling. They should be getting therapy, not I just medication. 
Yeah. And I don't think that you're the only person who disagrees. I really would like to hear from Philip, though, because yeah, he's the only person on the panel we have not heard from. So I, I like, know. Let me get to him. Oh, my God. I was so busy uh, listening to uh, the pastor. Hold on a second. Go ahead, Philip. Go ahead. I'm a fighter like Pastor Jebra. Okay, go ahead. He wants to speak to the. He wants to speak to uh, the pastor. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead, Philip. Well, I don't have a lot to say, but I think we're both fighters. You think what? I think we're both fighters. We're all fighters. We're both fighters. We're both both fighters. Philip, what does that mean? Philip, what does both fighters mean? Because we're all curious. If you could. Um. Well, we don't like to sit around to come to our injuries. You don't like to sit around and do what? And succumb to our injuries. And to succumb to your injuries, correct. And believe it or not, the human spirit is a fighter. And it will fight the best of its ability. And when it can't fight anymore because of the abuse, okay, the soul's the same way because there's two parts of us. God made a way, a gift. That's what they call it in the occult. It's disassociation. And you leave your body. People call it different terms. And what happens is everybody, Carol, you included, everybody forms parts. And it is a way to survive what happens to us. Now, there's sometimes I, how I work with people is God will show them to me. I have to know everybody has them. There's little ones, kids, they suck their thumbs, there's boys, there's men. And I have worked with them. I've helped them to, uh, the mental health world calls it integration. And what they want to happen is that all the parts, all the children, all the teenagers, everybody in there, to remember what happened and everybody to accept it. And it just be, so there's no more locked doors, there's no more shadows. Uh, Everybody knows inside, and they think that's getting whole. God does it a different way. I worked with a person who had children inside, and I had one, he was a little boy, he'd come out through her, stick his tongue out at me, and he was saying, I'm here, I want to talk to you, it was a boy, and he wanted to play and do baseball and stuff. I said, that is no problem. Why don't we just ask you to go off with Jesus Christ, and you go play ball, okay? Well, she'd created right. him, and he wanted to go, that part wanted to go. Said okay. Then yeah. two little girls shows up, and my I'm in my kitchen, and they're crying and crying. We can't go. You took our brother. You killed him. He's gone. He's gone. I said no, he's not. He's not gone. He's with Jesus, playing ball like he wants to do. And what? Don't you want to go? No, no, no. We can't go. We can't leave Carrie. And I said, who's Carrie? I have a great story about this. Yeah. Carrie was a, a part that was created by a demonic spirit. This is its spiritual work. That when he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do to that physical body any time, any place, he brought Carrie up. She's laying on the slab. She's deaf, dumb, and blind. And the two little girls, she said, that's our little sister. She's about two years old. And she can't hear. She can't see. She's deaf, dumb. She's lame. She cannot walk. So we can't leave her. So this person in their mind was not free. So I said, well, God, your word says you came to set the captives free, to heal the lame, make the blind see, and the deaf to hear. In the name of Christ Jesus, carry, get up and rise. Ooh, God, did the thing get mad that created it? They all left. 
The next morning, this young girl got up. At, she lived with me. She got up and said, you know, Pastor, yeah. for the first time in my life, I feel free. I feel like I can run down the street. I can run again. She could never run before. She couldn't escape. She couldn't feel free because that part of her was locked up through children. Okay, she grew up in multi-generations. I've had deep work with them. They've lived in my homes. I watch people when I go out. Like Carol said, there's a twitch in their eye. There's a, they close their eyes. They blink. Boom. There might be a boy. They might be a girl. Different ages. There's a family in there. There's teenagers in there. The mind and the spirit are a powerful helper to us to help us survive abuse, yes. even Amen. as a six-month-old child. We don't know how it's done. The mental health world knows that it is a defense mechanism to survive the abuse. Yes. Now, they don't and talk true. about leaving the body and having out-of-body experiences. Okay, That you have to learn and believe in and see. But well, then what happens... When you become an adult and you're no longer being abused, the mental health world say you don't need those parts anymore. And they have different ways of what they call integration uh, to help it. But as I was saying earlier, because the will to survive is so powerful in each of us, even if you get desperate and you want to commit suicide, if you're a well-trained pastor or therapist, I have gone up to people on the edge. I've taken guns away from them. I've taken machetes and knives. Okay? I have walked up to somebody who's ready to kill their parents and commit suicide. And I ask them one question. Do you want to live? Do, can I give you some hope? Here, take what I have. I will give you what I have in me. It's overflowing. Here, take it from my hand. Reach. Reach like in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, when Frodo's hanging over the edge in the Mount Doom, and Frodo is saying, don't you let go. We as healers have to have that kind of heart. Doctors have it. Emergency people have it. Don't you let go. We're fighting for you. Hang in there. Hang in there. And that is the power of love. Now, mental health counselors, they're restricted to 50 minutes. They they are trained, but they, they don't have that quite deepness of uh, sticking with somebody like a Frodo with Bilbo. They don't have it. Some pastors do. Some life coaches do. Some friends do. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Hold on a second, Deborah. Yeah, no, no. I, I just want to hear Philip for one second. I, I, you, you've given him so much information. What does he have to say back to that? I, I really want to hear what he has to say back. Um, no. I don't have anything to say back. No, Philip yeah, I mean, Philip and, and I are really connected. We're kind of, uh, uh, Philip's listens a lot. He's a sweet, sweet young man. He's a wonderful son. Absolutely. Well, Philip, I know you're and thinking. You're, you're analyzing and thinking. Yeah, he does do that a lot, and that's fine. Um, people don't always have to talk, Deborah. I mean, I'm sticking that is right. Deborah Hunt. <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm right. never gonna. I, I right, got two well, Debras on here. Give me a break. Carol so, knows anyway. I overanalyze anyhow, so I'm just 
you know, I, I, I'm also an, I'm analyzing from my own perspective. Yes, mm-hmm. ma'am, I know you. Girl, you know that. And so. I go I go fast mm-hmm. because there's so much to cover. I can go slow, but at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, this one topic, the gift, disassociation, it is known in the mental health world, but you have to be educated in it, trained in it. And most master's level therapists or life coaches, and uh, they don't have it. They may not believe in it. No, they don't. And the psychologists, a few get trained. We had some in Pensacola. But their philosophy is, as an adult who's not being abused like you were as a child, you don't need this defense mechanism anymore. And their only way is maybe hypnosis, integration. Uh, If you see in the movie Sybil, the psychiatrist, she has sort of a family meeting with all the parts because some parts don't believe that they got other parts and that they never were abused and blah, blah, blah. And it takes lots of study, reading true stories, studying people who have been in therapy in psychiatric hospitals with psychiatric nurses and technicians to see the validity and the reality of it. But like Carol had said, they don't know what to do with it except use Thorazine, medicate you out, and maybe do hypnosis or um, some of the other horrendous stuff that they do to you to try to get it, you know, it stopped. And they've tried so many different things. And at the same time, they, they it's changed in its definitions. But it's known But master's level, life coaches, a lot of the... Uh, trainers, even trauma-informed care people don't really know about it. And so it's. I had to learn, study, I read some of the horriblest stories you would ever think of, of what was done to people and their minds. There's a lot of research that's done with it, a lot done on prisoners, a lot done through the military, uh, trying to create soldiers and all kinds of stuff that's way beyond... A, a person who's just been child abused in the multi-generational Satanism and the occult that I got dropped into it is purposely done because Satan was looking to see did you have the gift Can you, and they would put a small child into a grave with snakes if you survived they know you got the gift because you would create a part to survive if you didn't you died afraid and they needed you to survive so they could use you like in the Manchurian Candidate with Frank Sinatra. You go watch that movie. They needed you to be able to split so they could program you and use you. Yes. And so I had to have all of these movies. I had, God used everything. He used the uh, Matrix movie. He used everything possible to teach me. Then he'd send me out and say, now go look and I'll show them to you. And I had to study people, and I had to study their faces. I had to look at their twitching eyes. I had to look at everything. I was studying nonverbal communication so they could talk to me, so I could learn. That's not taught at the master's level in mental health counseling, where most people go for the treatment or therapy. And I'll be right. quiet now. You guys. Let me say something here, too, one thing that you know really should be looked at. Uh, when you say, and it's true, because I filled out state forms too, when you um, when you see a patient, 
You can see them for 30 minutes or you can see them for 60 minutes. For 60 minutes, you can see them actually for 50 minutes because you have to chart on them. Um, and for the other, you can see them for 25 minutes, also being that you have to chart on them. But what happens so often in these hospitals, because I witnessed it, is uh, they would just look at their meds. They didn't even try to talk to them. They sat them down, and um, they didn't even try to talk to them. They would just simply look at their meds, ask them a couple of questions, and then send them out. That was it. So people are not going to heal from when they're having all kinds of dissociation or anything else like that. And and I say shame on them. That's one reason why I left Greystone, only one reason. I saw abuse um, where a patient got abused, and I had to turn that in because that's the way yeah. I am. I turned it into the state, okay? Yeah, so, I, I saw that as yeah. well. So, you know, yeah, that, and I even when for that, I though. see I, I won't stand for it either. And when you see it, and then you say, uh, I could possibly be a candidate for that, there's a totally different concept oh, yeah. of mental thought process of that. You're you're sitting there going, well, um, I have been abused. I have been raped. I have been, you know, Carolyn, you, you and I both have the same background. And if somebody says that to me, you're going to go, there's a totally different background that we have. And and not taking those medications that are going to make you crazy or whatever, but you still have the background, and that background does not change anything. And that's kind of the question that I'm that I'm asking Pastor Deborah, that, you know, I know she found God, but not everybody finds God in the same way that Mm -hmm. graciously that she did. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how do other people find that? Okay. And and it's not the same way you did. Okay. In different cultures and different faiths, everything's done. In the black community, they don't go to therapists. The men go to the barbers. The women go to the beauticians and to their aunties and grannies. They're not going to step foot into therapy unless they're court-ordered. In Islam, they're going to the imam or they're going to their father, and the patriarch system works, and there is no therapy. Some people go to the grandma of the village, and she's going to do whatever her ancestors done, and that's the way it's going to be, and there is no therapy. It's uh, Caucasians are probably about the only ones who really go to therapy. Okay, very expensive. The people have learned how to make a living off of your home, off of your view. Now, what I happens think with that, medication? Can you hear me? Yes. What happens in medication? Psychiatrists are medical doctors first. uh, They either do surgery, like a brain tumor, or they prescribe medication. That's it. So a psychiatrist first is a medical doctor in specializing in the brain. Let her finish. Go ahead. Psychiatrists understand brain uh, chemicals, uh, brain functions, how all the neurons, the hormones, the dopamine, the cortisol, they understand there's supposed to be a balance of water, sodium, salt, blood. And if that gets out of balance, 
they, they, they try to fix it with the medication. They, they, the psychiatrist doesn't do a lot of therapy. They'll pass you on to a master's level social worker or something. And they're trying to just get you to try to not break the law, beat up your family, do these behaviors. They really, do they really care? Yes. But they're going to make money off of you from the insurance company. And at some companies, you only get three visits. That's it. No, no more. It has to be work, uh, related to work. If they can't afford to lose you, they'd rather hire somebody new. So that's where your multiple personalities come into play because you might have one at work. And you can get Why do multiple personalities come into place with everything you say? Why is it always multiple personalities? People can have traumatic issues without having yes. multiple personalities. Yes. So why yes. is it always multiple personalities with you? What, what, why are you just saying Okay, because that's the defense mechanism. It's a gift. That's how you survive as a child in trauma and abuse. And I survived most... as a child. Yes. I do not have multiple personalities. Okay. Uh, but... let, let me say so why, something here. Deborah. Why... Because Deborah. my experience shows that everyone, everyone, Every human is capable and will use it without their knowledge, without them knowing it, and that's our survival mechanism to survive. When we can't escape physically, we can't do anything else, that kicks in automatically. Now, some of us, it's more prevalent than others. Some of us... It works itself out through healing. You get a good love, and you don't think you have it. But I had to learn that every person I worked with that came into my purview had it. And we all had abuse of one kind or another, traumatic childhood. <coughs> Even a, you have parental divorce or death, trauma. They now have it through the ACEs. There's ten questions. You answer anything, four of them, yes. They know you've had a traumatic childhood that has affected you emotionally, and you can have a lot of issues that may not show up till later, may not get exacerbated till puberty kicks in, the hormones, but it's there. It might be hidden, tucked away deeply. You don't know it. The world doesn't know it. But the ACEs test now has proven that there are so many other traumas that occur to children. Going through the birth canal can be traumatic for a child. Infancy in the hospital, how they're treated. Going home with mom, the words that are said. Some children, everything. So they have learned that childhood is very traumatic. And they're just now starting to see not just child abuse but other things. Our minds, if you talk to a lot of therapists and psychologists, it is so powerful, it is so wonderful, it's resilient, it wants to live, it wants healing, it's seeking it through everything it knows what to do. It's trying to find happiness, peace, joy, love. It's trying in everything. It's trying to talk to us non-verbally. It's trying to say things to us. 
And at the same time, most people that have it don't believe they have it. They don't know they have it. They don't know when they get angry. Let me say something, Pastor. Okay, Pastor, Mm -hmm. let me say something. I had to X her out, okay, because uh, she was getting too upset, um, Deborah yes. was. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. So you're, if you're still answering her question, I know everything that you're saying. Other people don't because we've worked in mm-hmm. the same type of facilities. But with, for some reason, um, Deborah was getting upset, and um, we, know, we don't need that on the show. Okay, so that's you don't need to uh, call right. on her. Yeah. That's okay. Um, I, 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 let, let me let me say something here, and then I'm going to go to Lori and Philip. Um, I'll be a part of this show. I have a bad voice, but oh well. So what? I'll be better next week. But anyway, the point is this: um, when you work in a mental facility, no one knows what type of work you do unless you work there. Now, what correct. they don't have. What they don't have at many times in mental facilities with the psychiatrists and with the patients, they don't have actual one-on-one. When you have the certified, state-certified, not just certified, but state-certified technicians like I was, um, we worked one-on-one and then some. And I was, I was used as someone who worked in many different buildings. A lot of times they put me in with the murderers. I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't know whether to make eye contact with them or not. But I said, okay, this is my job and I have to do this. Now, actually, they were easier to take care of because they cared about their ADLs. They cared about their showers, in other words. They cared about their bedrooms if they were clean. Um, their bedrooms, yes, they had bars on them, but they kept their belongings and themselves very clean. That wasn't their dysfunction. They were able to, to concentrate and to think but they were still psychopaths and sociopaths. They didn't care that they murdered people, and they were there for life. And that's why we had to have police presence at, at all times, at all times on the grounds. And in, inside, of, uh, certainly the building, that would be ten hours that uh, housed the, the murderers. Now, what, what Deborah doesn't understand is, no, not everyone has, you know, multiple personalities or dissociate and all this other stuff. Of course they don't. But there are many people um, as you're growing up, and if you have a repetitive type, uh, a repetitive type of, um, you know, things happening, traumas in your life, one thing after another, one thing after another, the mind splits. It, it, it can only take so much for some people. They can't handle all of that grief. They don't know what to do with it. So they take that grief, and either they themselves become a person who is volatile, and they go out and hurt other people or whatever, or um, their mind just simply splits, and they dissociate. And every time that they are abused by someone, um, whether it be sexually, physically, uh, whatever, and, and they're going through that type of trauma, uh, then they would dissociate instead of fight back, okay? And and people live with it for many years. Uh, I had people on the show who had multiple personality disorder who dissociated all the time. And one gal had 18, another one we know has many, more than that, mm-hmm. and without mentioning names. And so that's up to them to do, not for me. Well, you know the law, and so do I, so I'm not going to mention names. So what I'm saying is sometimes people want to hold on even to 
um, an altar, a personality disorder, one altar. As a friend, someone who can build them up, maybe they need that, maybe that's what they need, building up, help them with their self-esteem, make them feel tough, make them feel like they can handle anything. They can they can almost fly, almost fly, okay. And um, But you know what I'm saying? They need that because they were beaten down so mentally and spiritually in their life um, so many times. Again, repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. Mm-hmm. So this is why so many people do dissociate. Not everyone mm-hmm. realizes that they're totally dissociating. They don't know that, that like you correct. said. And so you and, and I know this. Is, okay, as a healer, okay, a mm-hmm. therapist or pastor, I have to know this. One of the great of persons to study is John Bradshaw. He talked about the inner child. A lot of us, there's a lot of teaching on healing the inner child. Where's the inner that's child? Right. That's the dis- that's the dissociative part that stays young, that mm-hmm. still needs healing. But there's another part I go to work. I'm married. I've had children, but I got an inner child. That's dissociation. It's a way of separating pain, fear, from, and you put it over in a someplace else. It stays with, and in mental health counseling or even hypnosis, uh, sometimes the system. You're talking to one person in the system, and it doesn't accept it. One person goes to therapy. One person goes to work. One person drives the car. And yet you have children. They suck their thumbs, and they do this. And and it's hard to believe. I didn't know what it was. I'd heard about it in mental health. But do you see it for yourself and the triggering and the happening, and um, you understand abuse, and you read enough true stories, and you read enough from therapists. There's a great book called Suffer the Child, true story about nurse psychiatrists and nurses dealing inpatient with people uh, that have this and how, they're de- how they deal with therapists, different therapists. Uh, there's, of course, Sybil and that psychiatrist, uh, Three Faces of Eve, uh, study Herschel Walker. He's a football player, okay? Mm-hmm. And people don't understand how it is a gift it is protection. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it stays. It keeps the person alive. It keeps a balance, sort of. And we are capable. We are such wonderful living creatures. We are so capable. And it's a gift to survive till we can get help and healed later. But it does take a lot of... It's, it's on um, in the mental health world. It's on this continuum of post-traumatic stress disorder. The one girl that lived with me that had Carrie, she had him. I saw him, but she hadn't been diagnosed by a full PhD psychologist. So she went in, and they give her a test. There's all kinds of tests that, uh, that you take, and she came back, and the thing said, "Oh, she didn't have them. She's got a high form of post-traumatic stress disorder, but not this. This is like number ten." And I said, "Sweetie, why didn't your system, the different parts of you, show up and say, hey? Here I am here. Oh, no, we can't do that. We have to protect the system. We can't let anybody know that we're all here, okay? And so there's a big protection that goes because of the fear. And in society, this is considered, we'll call it schizophrenia, split mind, craziness. Now, therapists know it's a defense mechanism, but the regular group of people, humanity, we don't want to talk about it. 
And I had to learn, and I had to be around these people, and I had to love every part of them. I had to learn how to talk to little children, how to talk to little babies, I had to talk to their inner child, I had to see they had families in there, I had to understand that some of them were locked down in trances, some of them, uh, you know, would escape, uh, all kinds of different ways. And it, it happens automatically when stress, the fight, fight or flight syndrome, everybody has That's to right. study that, the chemicals that are going off, and people either you're going to flee or you're going to fight. That's what Philip right. understands. He's a fighter, right. okay? Mm-hmm. And he's fighting now hard to get information and knowledge yes. to be healed. He's not quitting. Mm-hmm. He's not backing down. Now, he may not understand everything, but he's going forward. He's going to fight that bull that's been after him, chasing him. Another um, great movie to understand this and see this in action in our mind is The Cell by Jennifer Lopez years ago. And it shows what uh, a mind looks like that has been traumatized uh, Mm -hmm. through abuse and stuff. And the different Mm -hmm. compartments, doors inside just one body. So I had to watch these movies, and God would open them up and show me. Oh, my gosh. I had to have visualization. I had to have the understanding of criminals. I had to understand jailhouse personalities versus a gang personality versus a husband's personality versus, a, you know, a big brother's personality. I had to study. It's not done at the master's level or life coaching. You know, no. they just want to heal from the past, the memories, the hurt, and just be lovey-dovey and stuff. Is that important? Exactly. Yes. They're, they're all and having good and all sweet. They're, they're too sweet for but me. But that's okay. okay. The system well, needs that. Maybe that's all they can in. handle. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. But they need that love coming in, that sweetness, that kindness. And love is and the uh, one of the most powerful uh, healing medicines is love, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. genuine love, Mm -hmm. unconditional, no matter what, okay? Mm -hmm. And when that's there through a friend, a lot of people get healed with animals, pets. Or maybe they see a a wonderful movie and they just cry. They don't know what's Mm -hmm. happening, but they're getting healed. And they don't even know it, okay? Uh, Seeing beautiful things happen, maybe a wedding or something. Beautiful sunsets and sunrises, hearing a beautiful song. God can work through that and bring healing. Everything is working to do healing, to bring a balance back and uh, unstick people that are stuck, help them get free of the memories, the triggers. And so they then can turn around and say to somebody else who is getting abused right now, there's hope. Let me tell you my story. This is what happened to me. This is what the damage mentally it did to me, physiologically it did to me. I had eating disorders. Maybe you were into gambling or drugs. Uh, you, you got in all kinds of issues. But every time I saw a sunset or a rose, I cried. I don't know why I was crying. don't know what was happening. God was healing. God, okay? And a lot of people don't understand that spirituality, God is the deeper healing. Mental health can work in the soul. Psychiatrists have a way with medication because they believe if I can just get this, these chemicals balanced out correctly, you'll be able to think differently 
and make different decisions if we get you a teacher or a mentor or a coach. But we first got to balance out your dopamine, your cortisol. We got to, right. you know, we got to get some chemicals straight. So we have to give you some medication. As long as there's no brain tumor or a cyst or Alzheimer's or anything like that. So that, because if you did, you'd go to a neuropsychologist. That's and right. so the psychiatrist, his form, his weapon mm-hmm. in healing is medication. Of course, electric shock, all kinds of other things have happened through the years. And they're trying to return the people home out of the psychiatric, state psychiatric hospitals. Because what happened in the 70s, a lot of the families rose up and said, we want our family members home. You, If you got diabetes, your husband could shut you up and you're gone for a lifetime. We want them home in the community. That is when the federal government gave a lot of money to local communities to build community mental health centers to bring the people out of the state uh, mental health hospitals, bring them home. But the problem was the families couldn't deal with them, didn't want to, so they ended up building lodges, and the local community put them up in HUD homes or they became homeless. And there was a big move to get them out of the psychiatric hospitals. That's you know, right. I mean, you've seen some movies uh, about that. You know, some people might be diabetic, and there's some old movies uh, about mm-hmm. that, people going there. One's called The Snake Pit, excellent to watch. A lot of true stories about how people would get locked up. A lot of mm-hmm. men would do it to lock their wives up so they could marry somebody else, lock your children yeah, up. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, okay, that all was, kinds of yeah. different reasons. So in the 70s, a lot of people rose up and said, that's inhuman what's going on there. I went to them. I know what they look like. It's not a psychiatric nice facility. And they put the drug addicts and the alcohol, oh, just horrible. And so they came home to the communities, and here in Pensacola, that's when they started the first uh, community mental health centers. We're going to treat these people at home, and we'll have inpatients, and we'll go into the jails, and we'll do that. And then pastors started going into jails and chaplains and prisons and having Mm -hmm. a lot of different drug and alcohol programs. Even the homeless. Let me tell you something. Even Mm -hmm. the homeless. I caught a couple people that were homeless, and they said, I hear voices. I hear voices. And they actually admitted them. And and they were homeless. Yeah, because they believe you're a normal person, mental health-wise, is not Mm -hmm. to hear voices. As a pastor, when I even tell some pastors I hear the voice of God myself audibly and stuff, they look at me like, you need to go get on medication. For some reason, <laughs> in Western society, <laughs> Western culture, Western <laughs> Christianity, you hear voices, there's something mentally wrong with you. In other cultures, there are shamans, monks, leaders, who hear their ancestors. Okay. They're talking to ancestors, saints. They've seen Mother Mary. They, they see ghosts. And, and they're not psychics who talk to something. They're not considered mentally ill. But if you're a normal, pretty much, we'll say Caucasian, and you're hearing voices or stuff, the psychiatrists don't know. I mean, I was there. They got. They don't know. If you've got some kind of brain chemistry problem and that caused you to hear the voice, or the voices came and they don't know where they are, okay, they don't know what caused them because you're not supposed to be hearing them. Well, what happened if you think to yourself, is that your own voice talks? 
So there was a lot of confusion that psychiatrists only have one weapon, medication. Lock you up, get you on medication, give you a steam bath, a cold bath, maybe electric shock treatment, and that's about all they got. And then go home and try to handle yourself appropriately. Don't drink too much, you know, and just... And then the psychiatrist goes, we've done our duty. And I would probably say 99.9% of the people really never get counseling or therapy. They just live with right, their let me Let me say something here, Pastor. Let me say something. Um, with the facilities, with the hospitals, um, and other types of facilities that like hospitals, but like the satellite divisions, you know what I'm talking about, uh-huh, uh-huh, where you, uh-huh. you go and you get your medication, you can go back home. Um in 2020, all right, in our in our in our country, we had 12,275 total facilities in the United States. Now that's including the hospitals and the other satellite divisions. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Now check this out. Now, as of today, there are actually only 575 registered psychiatric hospitals in the United States. That's in 6 2022. I had that. Mm-hmm. Now, what I want to say about that, you had mentioned that um, many people, many people were sent out, or they, they were allowed to go out, whether they were really supposed to or not. They were allowed to go out of the hospitals, and they're on the streets. That's what's mm-hmm. helping to make up the amount of homeless people that are on the street are those that are mentally ill. And you're right because they think. Well, okay, uh, they, at Greystone, they let them go home for a weekend if they thought they were capable of doing so. They'd actually let them do that once in a while for visitation. And then they'd come back, and maybe they were all right with the medication for a day or two at home, okay? Um, but then when they took them out of the facility and had them on a daily basis, they weren't able to control them. Right. So listen. In the state yeah. of Florida, I don't know about in your state. By law mm-hmm. now, you cannot force anybody to take mm-hmm. their psychiatric medication. They have to do it willingly. Mm-hmm. You cannot force them so they can go home and never take their meds. And guess what? The families call the police. So the police have to be trained in crisis intervention work. And sometimes mm-hmm. they take a therapist. I got trained in it with my local sheriffs about doing crisis work, intervention and they right. baker act them, and they take them to the crisis stabilization unit where Pastor Deborah was, and they medicate mm-hmm. them, okay? And they get them right. therapeutically, calm down, mm-hmm. send them home. The families can't deal with them, and you cannot force them to take their meds. That's the law. Because it used to be rough. that we force people, okay? Mm-hmm. We used to force people, and they said you can't do that. They have rights. Right. Well, maybe that's why there's some of them around in the streets. I want to go to Lori because we haven't spoken to her in a long time. <laughs> Hold on a second. Yeah, because it's already oh. 8.10. Yeah, okay. All right, Lori, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Um, listening what do you to think about all of this? Well, you know, with my background, I grew up with um, all kinds of mentally ill people. You know, the psychopaths, the sociopaths, the, the pedophiles. Mm-hmm. And my mm-hmm. son's list, you know, that, that's, you know. So I'm more on the inside part of it. I've seen so much going on on the outside. A lot of what you described, you know, is definitely true. I mean, a psychiatrist is going to want to just see, 
the answers to his question, prescribe something out the door. But thankfully, I had two really good ones for him, and I think it made the difference. Um, there are people that, you know, you can cluster people and say they, they're the only ones that will take therapy or they won't take therapy, they'll go here. But there's always the in-between people, the few people that kind of set out on their own, and they start into, um, believe it or not, I had a neighbor who his therapy was writing songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a drummer for a band, and um, I could tell from when he started all the way through, I mean, because he only lived two houses away from me, um, that his music is, was changing, which meant to me he was healing. Uh, a lot of it is like the diversity in the neighborhood and, and whatever church is involved or, who, you know, what kind of person is living what kind of life, who was born to be the person they were, whose abuse caused the um, the way the person is now. Cause that's two separate things. One is brain chemistry and one is like an environmental thing. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, listening to, like, the horror stories from their lives, um, they're really under a rock for a while. You know, if they have heavy load, they got to carry to heal. So there are a lot of options out there, uh, including yours. I mean, it's worked. Um, you offer a lot of stuff, and I think it's important for everybody else to offer, you know, what, like as many people as there are, they're all different, so they're going to find some kind of other way to, you know, choose something and heal, maybe not the way you would in an office, but to a degree, you know, they'll be mm-hmm. better than they are and they'll continue right. on. Yeah. And if something else is going to come along, they'll dive into it. I always say, you know, if a door is open for me, I'm going to walk through it, and that's what I do. And, yeah. you know, I didn't know where I was going, um, I came out better for it. You had the one yeah, plan you did. Yeah, you know, but yeah, you did, I try Lori. not to. I try She's not to focus on them. Lori, what happens is, Lori, you were willing to walk through the door. Many people don't want to. They're too frightened. They love being the having the victim identity. They don't want to go through. And I always had a question for many people. I would say, look. There's hope for you. There's healing. You got to do some work. Well, you got to get off social security disability now, and go to work 40 hours a week like the rest of us. Be responsible for your finances. Raise your children. Be a good partner. And a lot of people didn't want to give up their money, their social security disability that they got. So they're not going to walk through the door. So there's other people too afraid to walk through the door. I've helped people. Uh, will say in a therapy, say, look, I'll walk with you. I'll hold your hand as you go through the door. I know it's scary. You step into healing. You don't know where you're going. You're familiar with all the fear and your identity, and you get a lot of psychological support and sympathy being a victim. That's who you are now. That's your identity, your personality. And if you give that up, who are you to be? And some people are afraid to walk through that door. Other people, like you, Lori, you you are walking through the door. Other people are going to run through the door. Other people are going to find any kind of door they can get through, whether it's music, painting, whatever, a neighbor, a book, sitting at home, that 
they're going to get healed because they're determined. Other people get satisfied and settled in their issues. And it, it takes work, as you probably know, and they don't want to work. They, they don't like where they're at. And they don't want to give it. A lot of people get on Social Security disability. I used to test for children who were like five and six years old to see if they qualified because they got some issues. And they don't want, and the parents don't want to give up that money, and the kids, when they go, they don't want to give it up because now they don't have to be responsible in society. They can blame, oh, my mental illness, you know, my child abuse, you have to treat me. So everybody is different. So a therapist has to know that and has to sort of seek, do you want to be healed? And they go, well, I don't know what that means. What will my life be like? And uh, and what happens if I get abused again or get afraid? And some people have courage. Philip's got courage. He says, I'm going to be like a bullfighter. I'm going to face that thing that is trying to kill me, bigger than me, and I'm going to fight it. Now, he may not sound that strong, but he is. Okay? Other people go, that ain't me, that ain't me, that ain't me, that didn't happen to me, that didn't happen to me. Tell me all about you, tell me all about you. But they're not walking through the door themselves. Or the door they go through doesn't work, and the door gets shut. Other people go, I don't care, I'm going through another door. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm going to keep walking on that road of getting healed. I'm not supposed to be like this. Maybe they got a word from a friend or they got some love and they go, you can make it. I'm with you. Sometimes it needs a partner. So healing for some people is frightening. Giving up that sickness is frightening. And I use my brother. My brother, uh, had he got diagnosed as manic depressive and borderline schizophrenia. The manic depressive, they dealt with Togretol. He worked in a special special supervisor. He couldn't even work in a real job, couldn't handle the pressure. The borderline personality and mental health means you got one foot in childhood and one foot as a teenager. You don't want to grow up. You're going to blame everybody else. I asked him one day, I said, are you on your therapeutic level of medication that your psychiatrist, you're seeing him every three months, yes, yes, and you're taking what you're supposed to be taking, yes. Everything's balanced out in here, yes. Then why are you still in the shelter workshop? He would not accept the fact that he was a borderline personality. He would not accept the fact that he had some other issues and that his, if according to his psychiatrist, the medication solved his problem, why can't you go and raise your two kids, be happily married, and work a real job like everybody else? Because he had some other things he didn't want to face and he didn't want to deal with, and he was blaming everybody but himself. He felt rejection and betrayed, and he was angry and mad. And he wanted to be a child and take care of it, but he didn't want to grow up. Okay? That was a, what you call dual diagnosis. And he didn't understand it. He got mad. Oh, he was so mad. See, I, I will challenge people. Okay, your brain chemistry's straight out. You're taking your medicine. You're eating good. How come you're still on Social Security disability? How come you can't hold down a job? You can't go to school. Your marriage is still a wreck. You can't raise your kids. You can't work. You're homeless. You're on the proper medication. You're under a psychiatrist. Okay, maybe been, you know, had a few uh, suicide attempts. Okay, well, that's been straightened out. How come you're still not? Okay. So I will challenge people because they want to 
Some people, out of fear, want to stay where they are. Other people, like in the movie Sybil, and even the three faces of Eve, Eve White and Eve, Eve Black knew about Eve White. But Eve White did not know about Eve Black. And I have been with people that they didn't drink, but a part of them drank, and when they would go drink, their body didn't show anything because it was somebody else. And what happens is the system in the Sybil, the psychiatrist worked with Sybil to introduce the system of the many different parts to each other. So Sybil on the inside could realize she was so fragmented and she was so many different people and it was a step of slowly realizing you're more than just what you are. The reason you're having problems is because of the abuse and this is what came out as an event, a result of the abuse. And we can help it. And we can slowly, through therapy, the psychiatrist, not master's level, meet everybody, have everybody get to know everybody, go to have a family meeting, and we can all agree then we need to be healed. But some parts have to let go, some parts have to disappear, and you have to get down to one personality that maybe can be like a wife, a mother, a worker, a volunteer, but you're still all one. On the end. You're doing different jobs, and you have different identities in society, but you're really whole, and you take your wholeness of your personality, your gifts, your intelligence to every job you do. And so it is hard for people who don't understand it. I never really talked to people when I was getting trained. I just read, studied. Then God would send people to me and he'd say, look, just watch. Pay attention. Look at their eyes. Watch their blinks. Listen to their words. Look at their demeanor change. My eyes were opened up. And so I had to learn that people coming out of abuse this was a gift. It happened. And it was their form of saving themselves when there was nobody else to help them. It was a form of escape. And they survived. They didn't die. They survived. But they're a mess. They're all broken, fragmented. And it would take a skilled therapist, a skilled loving person, or God just working through flowers, nature, animals, pets, music, however it would work. He could bring healing. And so I go, okay, let somebody cry, you know, okay. Well, they cry at a sad movie. God could be healing something. They don't even know it. And work is going on, and they have no idea what's happening. And healing and nurturing has come. Support animals. Give so much love to us, you know. They bring healing. Stuffed animals. Dolls. Well, Deborah, let me say something here, Pastor, because the the show is almost over. Yeah, Yeah. the show is almost over. Um, What song do you have? Because my computer's off. Too many allergies. I've got 823. You've got seven minutes. Okay. Let me me just say something, too, um, which is important also, because I have people asking me this. Um, first of all, if you have the uh, multiple personalities or the dissociation, yes, it is a gift. It's not anything to be afraid of. 
And secondly, flashbacks are not anything to be afraid of either. The mind releases. Correct. Yes, it releases information at certain times so that people can see. And um, but I suggest that if you're starting to have flashbacks, because I get these at two, three o'clock in the morning at times, if um, if you're having um, flashbacks all of a sudden, you should seek counsel because I don't know where you live. You live in different states. You're too far from me, but you need to speak to a therapist and and have them um, explain to you. Just what we're explaining to you right now, that flashbacks are the the mind releasing information for you now to look at something maybe that happened in the past and for you to, to deal with it. So don't be afraid That's of right. it. It's not That's like right. someone has a 45 to your head, okay? <laughs> it's not that. It's the mind saying, okay, mm-hmm. it's time for you to see. It's time for you to see um, something else that happened in your life. And um, mm-hmm. I think you're strong dreams enough are, now to deal with it. A lot of times dreams. A lot of times that happens in dreams and flashbacks yes. in the middle of the night. And it's Can't like you said, it's way, the yeah. way the body is trying to say, I got some toxic mess in me, and I need to release it, and I need to expunge it and get it out. So if it yes. happens, okay, you can call mm-hmm. a crisis line or something. You wake up and you say, God is releasing. He is. It's sort of like if you have a boil or something, and you punch it, and you get the, you know, uh, the stuff out. It hurts at first, mm-hmm. but it is a cleansing it's a releasing and a freeing. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. you got five minutes. That's exactly right. And, and Philip, is there something else you, since we only have a few minutes left here, Philip, is there something else you wanted to bring out real quick? Um, I started having memories and, like, flashbacks, but I think that right. means I'm feeling right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Say that again. I think it's you a good You started thing. having them and what? Does that mean I'm healing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what happens is it's the body's way of saying, we got to deal with something here, honey. And you're in your least uh, state of consciousness, okay, mm-hmm. and it's coming from deep in the past. And when it comes up and you wake up, you go, thank you. Thank you, body, for releasing it. I'm letting it go now off into the distance. It's going into the sea of forgetfulness. It's out of me. I'm not in that situation anymore. And when you watch a lot of movies, you'll see this happen with people. And what happens? They get their hands touched. They're held. Love comes in, settles them down. But if you're all alone, okay, you just reach out with your mind at the same time, another part of your personality, and you say, it's okay. We're getting healed. I'm letting it go. You're not wanted anymore. You're trying to help me, body. My body's trying to help me. My mind's trying to help me. I'm trying to get free. So you kind of do an inner talk to yourself when it happens. Mm-hmm. The thing, therapists aren't trained in how to teach you to deal with flashbacks and things like that in the middle of the night or nightmares. Okay? Remember, the body wants to be whole and healed. So does your mind. Everything is trying to work together towards healing. You just don't know it yet. And you have to work with yourself to give yourself permission to let it go. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's right. right. Go ahead, Carol. we got about three yeah. minutes. Okay. I just want to say this is a very interesting show. 
Uh, I'm going to check on Deborah to make sure she's okay because she was basically, I think, crying at the end. And um, these, this was not meant to upset people. It was to explain to people why our minds work as they do. And and uh, we both have been in the field, and she, uh, Deborah, uh, the pastor, Pastor Deborah, more than I, but I was there for enough time, too, to learn all the things. And we all certainly know about the faces of Eve. If you don't, you should watch Sybil. Don't be afraid of it, okay? Like I said, and like she said, for God's sake, it's a protection. And um, mm-hmm. the other Deborah got upset because I said, I wish I'd had it. <laughs> okay, she doesn't get it. You had so, it, Carol. Um, you just, you, you had you did it. it. You, you know, so, everybody um, disassociates during abuse. Everybody. Everybody well, leaves their uh, body. It's just 100%. Even though you don't know it and don't believe it, everybody does. No, well, if I did, I don't know where it went. But um, Well, anyway, you don't point, know. It, no, I don't know. And it's it's good if I did. I don't care. But anyway, the point is this, and then also with the flashbacks, you know, like we said, yes, that's a good thing. And, yes, Philip, if you're having them now, yeah, I'm glad you're having them, okay? Um, that may yes, sound weird, it, it's, but get, get it's some like help. It's like if you have a pimple or something and you squeeze it, you know, to get the pus out, it hurts when you're doing that. But you're yeah. removing the ish, the bad stuff of, of a pimple, Okay. And mm-hmm. that is what the flashback is. It's something that's been in you from a memory, a visual. It's auditory, and you have to l- let it go. And, yeah. and we all have them. And so when it comes up, before you go to sleep, it says, if any of you guys come up, I'll let you go. You're not a part of my life. You're dead, gone. It's over with. You are free to come on up. Because I'm going to throw you in the sea and forget from you, and you're going to be out of my system. And I'm okay. going to put good memories in there. All right, you got one minute. Yeah, I, I just want to thank you for coming on and, and shedding a lot of light on, and answering questions because people have these questions and they need to have that mm-hmm. light shed upon them so that they know, you know that there is hope in healing. And that's what we're about here in NASCA and other organizations and whatever is that we're, we try to help people heal and give them the hope mm-hmm. that they can heal. So anyway, oh, I okay. hear it. Lori, thank you for coming on. Philip, thank you for coming on. Pastor Deborah, thank you for coming on. And um, I'll be on again next week and hopefully feeling a lot better. <laughs> so we had a good show. So have a good weekend. God bless you. And um, wear a helmet if you have to. Around here I'm starting to think I need to all the time. <laughs> okay. Good night now. Good night. Good night. Love Talk Radio.